Hello, welcome to episode 8 of To The Studio. This week, we've got Beatrice Lettice Boyle on the podcast. Beatrice is interested in Shelley Duval, bumper stickers, witches and hags, choosing fabric and the scene between things. Recent work has appropriated imagery from 18th century Shunsho woodblock prints, a 16th century painting of the crucifixion attributed to Bosch, 16th century Bruegel landscapes, and Disney's 1937 Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. In her installations, the references which span eras and high and low culture all exist on a simultaneous plane. Beatrice received her BA from Central St Martins in London and recently graduated from the Royal College of Art on the MA Painting course in 2018. Recent exhibitions include Nourishment at Guest Projects in London, Maynard in the Arcade Project, also in London, Jolene's Unit at Thornton Le Dale Antique Centre in Yorkshire, Le Main Don La Poche at Pierre Pumet Gallery in Bordeaux, and Time Poor Dreamers at Cypherspace in Berlin. I chatted with Beatrice in her studio in Camberwell in South East London, and our conversation covered learning how to accept one's interests, to her love of analogue editing, her background in fashion, the importance of not having conclusions, and even her experiences of crying in seminars. So I really hope you enjoy our chat. Here it is. Hey Beatrice. Hi. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm actually knackered, but I'm good. What have you been up to today? I have been teaching children. So I teach like children's art classes, workshops. Um, and I love teaching children. I love being around children, but it's, but I'm knackered. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, I'm knackered. have you been doing that for a while? I've been doing it for a long time. Um, but it's really nice because there are children that I teach and I've been teaching them for like I teach children now who I've maybe taught for six years or something. Whoa. So I've really seen them grow up, grow up and yeah, it's fun. Cause I guess you, do you get to, I guess you get to see them more than, than their parents do on the whole, or is it? Yeah, I guess cause I'm not in a school environment. I don't in that case, yeah, definitely. But I see them, I've definitely seen, yeah, some children grow up. I've taught children, there are some, children I've taught since they were maybe seven years old and now they're teenagers so that's really nice and I'm really fond of so many of the children that I teach and I have a laugh with them I like teaching children are you teaching them just art yeah 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 so it's not taxing I'm not forcing them to do maths <laughs> or science or anything so that probably you know works in my favor but yeah um it's good it's a good laugh mm. and how, how often do you well, how often do you teach and how often do you get to be in the studio? At the moment, I'm not in the studio enough, but I'll have breaks. Um, so it's good also in that it's flexible. Mm. So I don't work in a school or a college, university institution. So I try and fit it around the studio practice. So I try and be in the studio I try and treat it like a nine to five, Monday to Friday. Mm -hmm. I don't get in here mm -hmm. as much as that at the moment, but then I teach weekends and evenings, which also works because that's kind of after school or when children are at school, the weekends. Um, but it's, it's good. It fits around the studio practice, mm -hmm. so it works. Yeah. Good, good. Well, I guess we should get into the studio practice. I think a good way to start off might be, well, there's so much material in here. There's new work, new paintings, there's old paintings, there's reference material, there's research material. So, yeah, I thought maybe we could start off our chat with, yeah, getting into some of that. Um, yeah, where should we start? Yeah, there's a lot of shit in here. Yeah, <laughs> there is. Should we start with, well, we could start with your research material first. Yes. Um, there's bumper stickers here. Yeah, what's lying around? Bumper stickers. So I collect yeah. bumper stickers. Um, I don't have a driving license. I don't have a car. <laughs> but I collect bumper stickers. Um, B 
because they have slogans on them, the ones I collect often have slogans on them, which are kind of sound trite or... Should we read out a few? Ironic, but I really believe in them. I'm into them. Man. Okay, so yeah, let's yeah, see. Read us a selection. This is one of my favourites. Be your own goddess. Yes. I firmly <laughs> believe in that. Question reality. I mean, I don't know about that one. That's a bit trippy. Um, this one says, think peace on it, and it has um, Einstein's face on it. Uh, what other ones? In goddess we trust. Yes. So there's like a lot of pagan shit. I'm into that. <laughs> Arms are for hugging. Yeah, I'm into these. Um, I'm pacifist, you know, into these anti-war ones. There is a little hippie in all of us. That, that was quite an important one for you, right? Yeah, that was. Was it? I had painted like so. I often use the slogans, the bumper sticker slogans, as titles for paintings, mm. or like a title for a text that I might be working on alongside the painting. But those texts kind of haven't seen the light of day, but they like lead to paintings or a body of work. Okay, so so these bumper stickers today suggest the start of something. Yeah, maybe in terms of a title. There's also an aesthetic, so. I think I started collecting them because I went to Woodstock, which is now like, you know, tacky tourist souvenir shops yeah. with like a shit ton of Grateful Dead tees and uh, bump stickers and tie dye everything, which I love, but um, <laughs> all that shit. But uh, yeah, so maybe it was the titles, but it's also like, I believe in the sentiment, which I think people think they're purely ironic. Mm. But, I like the idea of, okay, so this one says, not all who wonder are lost, which is another title I used yeah. for work, or like a body of work. It's like the idea yeah. of, that someone would like feel the need to put that on the bumper of their car. Because mm. the typefaces are quite... Um, yeah. I don't know how to describe them. They're, they're very of a certain time, aren't they? Exactly, they're of an era. And that actually is something, yeah, you picked up on that, I think is important too, that they're reminiscent or rather like evoking an era mm. bygone era 60s 70s and that's recognizable like merely in their aesthetic mm. which is cool um but also like i think about and talk about in my work um elements of nostalgia but also faux nostalgia so a kind of longing or nostalgia for a past that isn't mine or an era that isn't mine mm. so the 60s and 70s aren't mine like mm. hippie cancer culture is not mine <laughs> but it's something i kind of romanticize or i'm fond of so i incorporate it into the work but knowing full well that this longing or nostalgia i have for it is not my own in a way mm. um also some of them have this one says harm none do what do what ye will and that's in like ye oldie font which i'm also into so. <laughs> ye oldie font and like 70s hippie fonts. um this one's good it says eve was framed that's, so a, good, that is that's a, good a good one but yeah um what a long, strange trip it's been. That's one of my favourites. Yeah, yeah. I've, <laughs> I've, I've seen that, actually. I've seen that around. I mean, that's like a Grateful Dead one, isn't it? Mm. Not, I'm not a Grateful Dead fan, so I don't know. <laughs> um, and Tree Hugging Dirt Worshipper, that was the title of the installation that, of the um, degree show at Royal College of Art. Mm. My MA degree show, that was the title of the whole installation. Yeah, and did that, yeah. um, did the, the sticker come before that whole installation or were, or were the works kind of... I had similar? it in the bumper sticker collection and then it seemed to make sense with all the elements that I had in that installation. So it was, I think the wall was seven meters wide by four meters tall. Yeah. It was massive in terms of what I've worked with before. Mm. And I clad the entire wall in this, um, compressed cork which has this woody burnt wood smell um, and then had a constellation of paintings hung on it mm. and the tree hugging dirt worshipper title seemed to <laughs> fit that <laughs> yeah. yeah and the aesthetic of it mm. and this smell of burnt wood 
and the references in it that there were references to Bruegel paintings and their references to the Disney Snow White and there were things that they all seemed to fit in but also there was a kind of logic but also non-logic to the work in that I didn't want to dictate the relationship in between all of these references I pulled together I wanted the viewer to kind of be able to make their own references or come up with their own references and also make up connections mm. so I don't when I present work in an installation, I want people to be able to kind of make stuff up yeah. in between and make mm. links up rather than me dictating them in a text or in a way that's obvious. Yeah, I guess maybe then in a similar way to how people, as you said, with this phone nostalgia, people kind of look back and make connections with certain, even though they weren't there. Yeah. In the same way people look back and they, you can be fond or make narratives about an era or a time that you weren't in. Yes. So it's, yeah. very, so it's kind of, yeah, so I can see how that, how those kind of areas of thinking a link in one way or another. Um, in that show, in the RCA degree show, you said you referenced, um, or you, yeah, you drew inspiration from, was it, was it Bosch and Bruegel paintings? And was there like some yes. woodcuts too? Or yeah, I think, oh, I don't know if anything, in that installation was referencing Japanese woodcuts, but I looked at Japanese prints, um, 18th century and 17th century Japanese woodcut prints, mm. explicit ones, um, and there were references from those in there. There were... So it's this thing about multi... Simultaneous eras mm. simultaneous planes converging and the wall was a place for that to happen it was like a pinboard because it was on cork it was like a huge pinboard mm. in terms of what it resembled but also as a place or a site for things to come together or be brought together and then like a pinboard as a site for people to make links between certain artifacts mm. um and find those links yeah but that doesn't mean there was an explicit narrative or a linear narrative or even any narrative that made sense I think that's something that I I used to think when I was making work or making paintings that I had to have some kind that they needed to make sense <laughs> I needed to kind of have a plan and be like, yeah. okay, so I'm making this painting which references this 18th century work and that's because I'm interested in this because I felt like I had to justify everything. And in fact, uh, one doesn't, or I don't feel like I have to anymore. Like I'm interested in all of these references. Mm. They might be contemporary or relatively recent. They might be historical. They might be for one reason or another, they might be because I'm merely interested in the aesthetic of that era or because I love this artist and yeah. I wanna rip them off in some way. Or there's a film that I've seen, but I used to think, oh, I have to justify my use of all these references or they have to somehow be imbued with this importance beyond just loving them and yeah. now I think no actually that's what someone's practice or that's what a practice can be it can be and that's conceptual in and of itself that it can be a collection or like a compilation of all these things that feed into the work and I don't need to justify why I've taken a Japanese woodblock print from 1780 and isolated the feet from an orgy scene and that's what's important to me like that's because that's what I've honed in on so yeah. I think that's yeah, an important thing to me that I've realised that. Mm. Was there test. anything, has is, is that come gradually to you? Or is, is that been, is, was there like a, a moment of awakening where you thought, no, this is, this is... I think gradually, but I do remember being on the MA and being like, fuck it, this is enough that I want to work with all these things. Mm. And then there's a kind of relief because you're like, oh, well, I'm already, already doing that. Like what I do when I read a book, what I do when I watch a film, when I listen to music, when I read an article is I'm honing in on something I'm interested in. And then all of these things together mm. might feed into work. It doesn't need to be. Whereas I think 
I used to be like, right, I'm going to think about what work I want to make. I'm going to make a painting about something important. And like, but all of those things are important because they're what you're drawn to. Yeah. Um, so maybe before I was concerned with that not being enough mm. or not sounding intellectual enough or conceptual yeah. enough. Yeah. Whereas then I realise that's it these are the things i want to draw upon mm. and also in reconfiguring them and drawing on those references then something new comes about yeah yeah and i, I don't think you're definitely not alone in that kind of in that anxiety for sure it's something that we've, i've spoken to people about on, on the podcast before mm. and a few people have said yeah just just trusting yourself and just you know just following following your instincts and and that and that's enough and sometimes you know, there is sense in its kind of non nonsensical stuff, you know. Yeah, there exactly. Was, and also sense in that. like, you know, when you think about the everyday, you know Exactly. No no one day is ever as never as you imagine it. It's chops and changes. So in relationship to like, you know, people's lives and kind of knowing it in as a whole, it just doesn't seem Yeah. And I also you know, where can you fuck about and with things that don't make sense exactly other than in painting well no you can in loads of things that are creative mm-hmm. but you can in writing you can in music and you can in painting like yeah. I want to paint because then I can actually make things happen that make no sense yeah, <laughs> there's right. like a yeah, exactly. space for that to exist in things that make no sense or mm. I don't mean kind of like the absurd but I just mean having the leeway to yeah mess around <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and yeah there's, there's so much that doesn't make sense mm. in the world that why can't you know why why does what you make have to make like you know have to be kind of fully rounded and, and kind of mm. and, and bulletproof and then maybe it is in its kind of you know in its kind of space and it's exactly yeah yeah because i read we can talk about your show and or and all mm. but in that text, yeah, it said about the like you're interested in the scene between things, and, and maybe that's yeah. what you're thinking, especially how you're talking. Yeah, maybe that you're you kind of make these things, and then whatever happens in between, that might be where your interests might lie. Yeah, and actually, I'm still expanding on a text which was like an academic text because it was a thesis, it was a dissertation, um, which in the beginning was a good thing because it gave me, there was an emphasis on spending time on writing it. And I had thought before, I don't want to spend time writing because I want to spend time in the studio painting. And every I thought of time writing merely as time not painting. So I was really reluctant to write and then spent, what, three months or something writing and it was so advantageous to my studio practice, advantageous to my way of thinking anyway, and fed into the work directly. And also in and of itself was something that I thought I want to do. I'm not a writer and I'm not going to start writing. But, <laughs> um, but the text is called A Rich Seam and it's about the seam in between things being the site of excitement or the site of um, where something happens, yeah. where two things meet, yeah. being like the site of friction and then excitement so yeah I think that's another thing with all the different references which span different eras places that in between them there might be or where they meet Mm. something exciting might happen Mm. the space in between them Mm. Mm. that's what I try and think about Mm. so I guess um well, we can talk about your show and or maybe then. Yes. Um, seen as yeah, seen as I kind of started off talking about it a little bit. Um, so the show, yeah, how did that show come about? First of all, how did it come about? <laughs> um, they approached me, and then it was a long time in the making. But I think this is another thing that I've come to accept about my practice is that I don't make work quickly and that's fine (laughs) because I used to be like oh fuck it takes me ages to make a painting and the painting's really fucking small but um 
that's okay for me right now mm. that's fine um yeah. but the yeah so the exhibition was kind of a long time in the or a relatively long time in the making and yeah it came from thinking about a space that could be occupied by different characters so existing characters which are references so one of the characters is the bum from which is the name of the character in the script uh in david lynch's maholland drive so i think is that 2000 i think that film um and then the other figure in the paintings in the exhibition was the blind psychic medium um sister from don't look now which is 70s i can't remember the date um but that nicholas rogue film so they're both characters i keep in mind and think about mm. characters that are female i only paint female figures not through any well it must be through a conscious decision but it's, yeah it kind of isn't i don't think about it but i'm only drawn to painting female figures um so the exhibition her paintings of both of those figures and repetition of both of those figures. Also, the figure in the David Lynch film, everyone thinks it's a man. Everyone thinks it's a dude, but it's actually a woman. <laughs> and it's this amazing actress called Bonnie Ahrens who David Lynch met at a party and was like, you, you've got to be in my film. <laughs> so she has an incredible face. Um, so even though these films are decades apart, the characters, bear no relation to one another they could exist in this space together and they're both kind of iconic figures iconic female figures um so yeah the exhibition centered around that and the text was part of an extended again like every piece of writing that I do in the studio I have done before or do alongside the work kind of runs into the next piece and part of the re writing recently has been about something I referred to flippantly once as a composite witch so all of these would be or could be witch characters female figures who are mm. kind of scary or unpleasant yeah <laughs> so they both uh, part of the composite witch, which isn't something that's materialised as a work or a text mm. in and of itself, but it's something. It's something that's kind of it's like slowly a, building. Yeah, a term yeah. that they are not an umbrella term. Yeah, <laughs> all these female <laughs> figures can come under. Because the text for the show was, mm. was it a bit of that interview between of because Bonnie Aaron's was interviewed right by. Yeah. Or, or a certain magazine, um, yeah. and told the story of kind of, and and also the title of the show came from exactly. And now I can't remember the title of the show. I but can I can tell you. You can was. tell me. The title of the show was that is real moss on my face. That is oatmeal and dirt in my hair. Yes. So that is a quote from an interview she did um, about the process of hair and makeup uh, mm. that she went through. Mm. It's um, such a startling moment in that film. Yeah, so it makes you jump. Yeah, it's a genuinely real... jump. Mm. And it's and it's silent as well, isn't it? It's I think it's a silent. Is it silent? Yes, and she's smiling, and it's daylight. It's broad mm. daylight. Yeah. And they're behind that diner. It's not, you know, it's not sinister. It, it, the setting or the yeah kind of context is not sinister. So it's funny that it's so startling. Yeah, it's so unsettling. Yeah, it really is. Um. But yeah, also this thing of kind of oatmeal and moss and those really tactile materials or words terms mm. um had to do with the whole installation mm. and also the palette you, you mentioned moss and oatmeal and stuff and the palette that you used especially because that was the painting behind you is one of the paintings in the show right yeah it, do, it does have like a mossy a mossy yeah. quality it's quite there's there's some parts that are quite textural, but there's some that are really kind of soft. There's the like the deep greens, the light greens, and yeah, I don't know if that's something you thought about. Maybe it's just maybe unconsciously. 
I also, hadn't thought about that, but that's always like green is always it's in everything. Yeah, it that's does. like if I go home and I have paint on my clothes, that's more. Yeah, <laughs> <it> <laughs> it is it? Is that a color? What color is it? Is it? Is it bright green lake? The Michael Harding bright green lake. It is, is it? a Williamsburg or and or old Holland green gold golden green. Mm. But it's like a. It, it goes from like an olive to a chartreuse mm. and that colour's everywhere actually yeah, in all of the paintings <laughs> it's a beautiful colour yeah that's a kind of constant in fact mm. that I always go back to and I think about how you hung the show as well and I might I might be wrong but I've only just thought about this but you know in the fi- in, in that film when the the bum comes up from behind the wall yeah and there's like a and there's like a I don't know, it's, it's as if these paintings are like a stop motion of that movement from... Yeah, because it's a really... Well, you yeah. only see the figure for a split yeah. second. Yeah, you do. You do. And she's smiling. Mm. She looks pretty benign, but it's a scary yeah, moment, yeah, yeah. so that's quite... Yeah. Um... Also, what we could talk about maybe mm. is, in a lot of the portraits that you paint, they're kind of... They're cropped, aren't they? They're kind of closely cropped. And I, I seem to remember you us talking about this before, maybe. But yeah, what is um, yeah, what's the thinking behind this kind of close, cl- close cropping, of the crop actually is the most important part of the painting to me always. And I don't talk, I don't know if I often talk about it or would voice that, but it, the decision on how to crop the image, because I work with uh, existing images, so they're often from photographs or they're from a painting, so um, some of the ones you can see here and work in past exhibitions has been from a Richard Dad painting, which is in Tate Britain. Um, but it hones in on the female figure, the female face, mm. and it's called Bacchanalian Scene. Um, and it's a painting I'm really familiar with, having seen it take Britain how many times. Mm. And the figure is a, she's a maenad, which is a female follower of Dionysus. So she's fundamentally a drunk female who displays, I think, erratic behaviour in inverted commas is the actual description. I was like, yeah, it's fucking great. <laughs> um, and she has this, really peaceful, intense face, which is uh, slightly, could be slightly sinister, scary in fact. Mm. But the crop on that, so that's from a painting that I'm referencing, or Mm. the crop on photographs or film stills I'm using, or even some of these paintings are from photographs of a friend in LA's garden. Mm. He took the photos Mm. um, and I'm cropping them. But the crop is something that I spend a long time thinking about, so that's... So I suppose the initial thing is selecting the image. Are there, are there certain reasons why you would might select a certain image, or is it quite intuitive? I must be thinking about... I must be thinking about composition, like technically, if it's going to work or not. Because everything else I can alter, but I don't... Actually, I do sometimes cut up and collage the image as well. Like by hand, okay, yeah. Which people laugh at because everyone's like, "Use Photoshop," and I'm like, "I don't know how." <laughs> my version of Photoshop's like twelve years old, so, <laughs> and my computer's like twelve years old. My laptop, and it's so fucking slow that it's like, no, I'm just gonna get some scissors and some masking tape. Thanks, I'm all right. <laughs> so I will cut up, and I will print several versions and then cut them up by hand and then sit them together and collage them together. So sometimes I do rearrange composition, mm. but I think. There's initially image selection, and then it's the the crop is really important, um, or an important step in the decision making. Mm. I spend a lot of time on working it out, and that it could be imperceptible, but I'm like, that's not going to work, and then something else works. And yeah, all the paintings you're looking at now, or well, most of the paintings you're looking at now, are small. They're twelve by. 10 inches, mm. I, th- I think that's 30 by 25 centimetres, and they're small, and the faces are 
life size i never really made a conscious decision about that but the crop and the scale of the canvas dictate that and i stretch the canvases so most of them are on flax some of them are on a hessian like a really hairy hessian um and some are on the fabric i like working with the most is actually an upholstery fabric and it's intended for use in restoring antique furniture so where you would have the layer originally i think of horsehair or material like that and then you'd have that upholstery fabric on top in between you have this layer it's like a very thick heavy woven linen so a lot of them are on that and it's exposed the uh, fabric it's, got, it's kind of a soft the upholstery thing it's also a softener to the seam as well isn't it Yes. Stuff, so yeah. 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 It's all coming together. It's all coming together. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah. Talking about yeah, obviously talking about the crop. Is there conceptually? Is there is there like a what kind of started off the kind of the idea of using the crop, or was it something that you've always just wanted in the work? I think it was something that then when I started maybe three years ago working on a smaller scale the decision to work on a smaller scale was to do with how I was going to cram things onto there or there's something about there being confines or restrictions yeah but restrictions being in this case a good thing or a necessary thing and having such a small space to work within then everything's kind of crammed in or at the edge or wanting to move beyond it but mm. it's a a restriction I'd like to work with that scale mm. there are larger paintings in here but I don't I still at this time feel they're not they don't work as well or make as much sense to me now as I'm working And with the, there's some newer work in here, since that show at Andor, there's some newer paintings um, to the left. One's like a mushroom on the left, and there's like a, I'd say that looks like kind of a, an orb in the middle, and then some kind of fauna on the right. And those are photographs from my friend Nick in LA, his garden, so there's this incredible garden in Glassell Park in Los Angeles. And they're photos, they're his photographs, cropped. One's of a full moon, I think, through a telescope. One's of a silk floss pod, a plant I didn't know existed, but I painted it. And one is on, uh, one is of a mushroom growing on his compost heap. <laughs> and also mushrooms are something, I don't know. Painted in the past, and they they're kind of recurring, but they've never been prominent. Mm. Um, so they're they're a departure in a way because they're not of female figures or all yeah. the faces, mm. and they're not referencing art historical or more recent popular culture figures. But they're also perhaps returning to the things I was painting three years ago or longer ago, which mm. are again where the crop was really important. Mm. But there were fruit and there were vegetables. Mm. So that painting there, that's really, that's called Blue Harvest. And that's like four years old, perhaps older. And that's of pumpkins and gourds. Mm. <laughs> and there were lots of paintings of pumpkins and squash gourds um, so actually perhaps they're going back to that so. yeah yeah and also it, yeah you mentioned right at the beginning about this kind of um, yeah mentioning again this kind of faux memory of things or this whatever but obviously like with the 60s bumper stickers mushrooms there's that connection there like this kind of like yeah that's actually the kind of psychedelic yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. vibes yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah then most recent thing but I think that's another thing that 
along with um, realising I don't have to sit down and think, okay, what clever thing am I going to paint? Mm. <laughs> what, how are my paintings going to be clever? What, how am I going to speak about it in a way which is clever? In fact, I'm just gathering all of these things and that's mm. the research and all these things I'm interested in. And then the work as the painting, as the installation, as an amalgamation of these references, I think another thing is that, that it's not going to, they're not necessarily going to, change they're going to fluctuate but the things i'm interested in are always going to be there so the mm. fact that these paintings of fruit or vegetables or natural forms relate to paintings i've made years ago mm. which were of vegetables yeah. is because that's always going to be a recurring motif and the faces or the figures that i'm looking at from art history or from films are recurring motifs as well so they're always going to be there and it's like an amalgamation of all these things that things might they might fluctuate that things might pop mm. up and then mm. die down and then come up again mm. but it that doesn't need to change either it doesn't need to be like right okay i'm gonna make a new body of work what's it gonna be about yeah. now like and i think i also used to think like that wipe the slate clean and then think mm. okay what clever thing can i make paintings about now mm. and that's going to be the new body of work. Like, mm. This body of work is going to be about dogs. And then, <laughs> right, I've made that body of work. So this series of paintings is going to be about chairs. I don't know. I don't think I need to do that anymore. I don't feel the need to do that anymore. What do you think... Um, kind of delineate it. Uh, I wouldn't say forced you to think like that, but, yeah, why do you think you used to think like that, that you had to have an idea and... Yeah, this is what I'm going to make body work about this, and this is what I'm going to do. What, why, why do you think? Yeah, why do you think you used to think like that? Maybe it's because art schools now universities, and you ha you are assessed. Is that the right word? So my undergrad, yeah. I had a massive gap in between my undergrad and my postgrad, and I didn't know or think I wanted to do an MA until long after I graduated from my BA. So I did my BA at Central St. Martins. Mm -hmm. I did a foundation at Camberwell and that was excellent. Yeah. But I mean, foundation is pissing about. <laughs> and you know, I still love Camberwell. Camberwell's my home. I live here, my studio is here. Like it's home and has been since then. Mm. And that was, I don't want to admit how long ago it was, but that was. A time ago. Oh, well over 10 years ago. Yeah, like <laughs> more than a decade ago. So. <laughs> That was good, um, but I think perhaps in art school there's, there's not an emphasis on being assessed, but you're aware you're being assessed and you're yeah. aware that you have to, it's this thing again about justifying what you're doing, um, justifying your work, justifying your practice. So I think that perhaps led me to think, uh, that I had to come up with this. Mm. Also, the idea that you would come up with something original, I mean, that, yeah. that doesn't exist. And <laughs> it doesn't need to. Um, but that kind of mad idea that you would come up with something original and justify it. Um, whereas in fact, what I'm interested in is all these existing things floating about that I love and find exciting and making something from that soup of things. I don't mm. want to make this yeah. original unseen <laughs> painting. Yeah, because well, like. yeah, I guess maybe the magic will, the, the, the magic of it all and, and the wonder that you find in these things would, would go if there was like a linear way of, um, yeah, of, of making those connections and it all kind of consolidated into this thing. That, mm. all, that, all that wonder would disappear, you'd, you'd imagine. Right? And if there was a conclusion as well, okay, well, you've mm. done that successfully. Mm. You've made that painting successfully done, but yeah, you can't yeah. reach that yeah. point. Well, maybe, maybe that's a good point. Maybe because you, I guess you make a body of work, even at school, you make something, you have this final, this final kind of painting or whatever it might be, and then you write a conclusion and then that's it. And then you yeah. feel like you have to start again because it's, you've concluded something. Whereas now I, I think it sounds like you found yourself in a position where the work just is ongoing. And it's, mm. it's it's never really concluded. You're just it's just kind of shifting and morphing and growing and questioning itself. And exactly. Mm. 
no notion of something being or anything being final. No, right, exactly. Yeah. But and also, all of these references and using stuff that already exists, like, to be a painter, to make paintings, you exist in that. You can't ignore it. And it's a conscious decision to be... To not... You, you can't escape mm. the history of painting. Mm. Or art history in that sense. But that's not... I'm not attempting to. I'm <laughs> quite the opposite. I want to be in that yeah, Maya of every other painting yeah. that's ever been made. I'm making a decision to be part of that. Mm. And there's so. just, like, yeah, and to find something, could he, the, the constant need or the, the, the thought that you have to have the constant need to kind of find something new is just, mm. there's so much already in the world. Like, just, you can, so much to draw upon. It can exactly. be quite exhausting. With all, you know, with all, like, you get new information every day about stuff and the, the world moves so fast that to keep finding or the th- thinking you have to find something new all the time can just be totally exhausting. Mm. Un- unnecessary. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And you actually, you mentioned, uh, you, yes, yeah, so you went to Central Mines, right? Yes, I did my BA there. Mm. Um, I went to St. Martin's because of the pulp song. Like, <laughs> there's no other reason. It was fine. Yeah. And it was still in Charing Cross, oh, this is how old I am. It was still on Charing Cross Road, it was in Soho. It was a cool building though. Yeah, that building was lush and... But I mean, it, I don't know if the course was what it should have been, I don't know. But yeah, it was a good place to be Were you painting there? at a time. I was painting, I was making shit sculptures. <laughs> I made this first sculpture and then we had a tutorial and I cried, but also... After tutorials, everyone would cry. Yeah. Every single student would be crying and they're like weeping in the corridors. Yeah, it was quite that was normal. Of being brutal. That was normal. They were like, "What the fuck is this shit?" And then you would cry. <laughs> everyone would cry. And so, but my work was shit. But I don't think it was necessarily kind of constructive the way they no. <laughs> made every student cry. But that was that was normal. That was the norm. You just wept in the corridor. Savage. But you wept in. Nice corridors, nice buildings. It's yeah. now <laughs> yeah. Foyle's bookstore on Charing Cross Road, yeah. So, um, and then I had a big gap, yeah. Yeah, what, what happened in that? Yeah, what did you get up to in the gap? How, how long was it between your BA and your MA? Eight years. Wow. So I... I say it inadvertently, but it was something I always thought I wanted to do, but it wasn't the direction I'd taken. So... Um, Someone saw my paintings and then wanted to use them as a print design. And then I went into working with them directly on print design. And then I was involved in elements of garment design, which uh, garments with the prints on. So I worked in fashion in one way or another for over three years, longer. and then there was a point where I was approached by several people to expand on what I was making, but I didn't want to, even though I probably would have been making some money, which I'm not now. <laughs> um, I, or I was making money, but it wasn't, there was something about, and not fashion in general, but fashion at the level, or clothes at the level that I was involved, that was, it would have been hypocritical. That sounds worthy of me, but it would have been hypocritical because the quality, or not, I don't know, for lack of a better word, quality, um, the product itself wasn't aligned with my idea or initial idea of how it, should be or could be mm-hmm. and I think that's one thing about painting or making work writing music where you're able to make work on your own terms that you don't have to be a hypocrite it doesn't have to be hypocritical in any way and that's pretty rare I think in doing anything if you can find a space where you don't feel hypocritical, or well, that's how I feel, then that's, that's a freedom in that. Yeah. So in painting, I don't, I'm not having to adhere to mm. any set of 
um, Rules, yeah, or Ooh, criteria. It doesn't have to pass anyone else. Yeah. No one has to. But when you have clothes mm. and you're in production, mm. then everything has to pass all of these different. Um, oh, okay. And fundamentally, the product, because it's a product, was not. And a painting is a product. I know full well that a painting is a product, and I want someone to buy the painting. <laughs> and it's a commercial product in that sense, but it's uh, it allows me to make something without being hypocritical, and so I didn't want to do that anymore and then I remembered oh wait I did my BA in painting I want to paint <laughs> so I started painting again I had a studio for maybe three years with a view to applying for a master's which I knew I wanted to do in part to re to immerse myself again in in that. Mm. And I think now I have a studio set up, which is a conscious decision where I'm surrounded by people yeah. and people painting. And that's so important to me. Whereas before I'd had studios where I was on my own in the studio. And it's not only that I like talking to people, <laughs> I'm not very good at being on my own. It's also that I, don't, I feel my work benefits from being able to talk about it and talk with other people about it and other yeah. people who are painting or other people who are making work. And that's important. And I knew that the masters would be a way to do that every single day. Mm -hmm. And it was, and that was a good, a good thing, a good timing. Cause also I was desperate to do it by the time I did it. I was like, mm -hmm. I know this is what I want to do. It's not, oh, I've done a BA, so I better do an MA. There wasn't, that wasn't part of it at all. It was yeah. a decision that I knew I wanted to, uh, knew I wanted to make and knew it was the right thing at that stage. Mm. And how were those two years for you, anyway, after you got in? <laughs> uh, I want to be really uncool and be like, the best two years of my life. No, be uncool, but be totally, be totally truthful. It was so good. It was, um... Also because of my undergrad, I expected them to be like, what is this fucking shit? And make you cry, and they didn't. Um, in fact, I think they could have been more... Harsh is the wrong word, but you know, mm. exacting perhaps, or, or more... Ask more questions at times. Be more probing, perhaps, at times. Mm. But um, it was good because it was so intense I didn't do anything else I still had to work alongside the MA but fundamentally I spent all my time in the studio all my time painting that wasn't in lectures or tutorials and there was constant discussion and I think that's yeah. what I needed and what I wanted and why I now maintain a studio with other people who are making work because I need that constant I think it's very easy to for that to peter off or let it Peter off when actually I want to be forced to talk about my work constantly and yeah. think about it constantly because it's beneficial like I know it's beneficial to my practice but also mm. not just the work itself but the way I think about it and the way I have to process it and the way yeah did your thinking change a lot in terms of your work then like did what well, did the work change the work you were making the work you. changed but I also think my the most important way that it changed was not because during a master's I became more kind of sophisticated in my way of thinking I think, I think in a strange way not the opposite but the unexpected was that I did away with pretense like I was speaking about thinking I needed this grand idea in order to paint or thinking I needed this it, it was then it became about what I wanted to make work from and then the work became better, I think, because yeah. it was what I wanted to make without overthinking or or feeling like I had something to prove. Mm. Yeah, so it's a, it's a <laughs> that's because usually with a lot of people, I think it, people go the other way with their mates. I think they go on there and they. Um, and they can feel like they went on feeling quite free and then they came out thinking, oh, I need this big. I need the, I need to have the idea behind my work. 
So it's quite... Um, yeah. That's funny. Yeah, I feel the opposite. Yeah. I feel like I came out and was like... Mm. I came out. No, I feel like I was... <laughs> um, Freer. Would you say yeah, honest sounds. I wasn't dishonest when mm. I was making paintings before, yeah. but it was. Um, I suppose there's a confidence in it as well because you are making work every day. You're making work constantly. You're speaking about it constantly. Yeah. And in fact, if you're, if it's bullshit, you can't keep it up for that long. So you have yeah. to. So you you can't maintain bullshit for that long. So in fact, then it's gonna come out. Mm. Um. As someone I used to share a studio with, in fact, before I did the MA, his painter called Benjamin Senior. He had done the MA years before. And had this phrase wherein he said, oh, it kind of makes you fess up. I don't understand what that meant, but now I do. It's like, you, that's what you are. You can't keep up this pretense or facade <laughs> when you're there, yeah. it comes out what you actually want to do, mm. what work you actually want to make, or what you're interested in. And that's not to say then you, you've got your shit together and you know yeah. what you are or what you're doing. I don't know what I'm doing, but mm. I'm certainly clearer about it. Yeah, would, um, you, would, you, would you say then that the kind of, the work kind of begins then once you leave, so you kind of, you kind of, you, you gathered all of this stuff? Yeah. Um, yes. And then you kind of gather all these kind of friends or whatever, and then then the work kind of really begins afterwards. Yeah. Right? Also, because it was so intense in terms of you're bombarded with lectures and talks mm -hmm. and tutorials and mm -hmm. crits, and all these artists, there were so many artists visiting, yeah. all permanent staff at the RCA who I loved and wanted to speak to as much as possible. So you're mm -hmm. trying to absorb all of this stuff, and then afterwards yeah. maybe you have a lull period where you can actually use all of that stuff you've been Yeah, yeah, and it takes given. time to absorb that stuff, right? Yeah, definitely. Lots of time. A lot of schooling in notebooks. And mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And kind of life after the RCA, I know we've talked about shows and stuff, but um, yeah, how did you find life after, after, yeah, after the RCA? I think... <laughs> A lot of people had warned about a kind of come down from it. Um, but I think I was lucky in that I had projects that I was working towards consistently from before the end, so I knew there was something on the horizon. And since then, in the last 18 months or so, I've had something on the horizon consistently or a couple of things to keep going. And I think yeah. that's important in terms of not feeling lost. Mm. But Perhaps it's only now that I think, oh, what am I doing? But I think if you make work at a level where you're still having to work around it or you're still having to do other things in your life, then you're always going to have that yeah. freak out every now and again where you yeah. think, what am I doing? <laughs> um, so I definitely have that. But at the same time, I know that I've made a solid decision to do it. Mm. Mm. So, I've accepted that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's a poor life decision, <laughs> I've accepted it. So. <laughs> I've come to terms with it. <laughs> well, uh, maybe on that note, towards the end, as you may know, towards the end of these podcasts, I ask our guests two questions. Shit. <laughs> uh, the, the first question is um, if you could swap seats with me now and visit any artists in their studio living or dead um, who might you visit and what might you ask them I don't know what I'd ask them um, and Although they're not, they're an, they're an artist I love. I love their work, although they're not an artist who I think I draw upon in my work. Um, Robert Crumb, I'd like to go to Robert Crumb's studio, nose around. Cool, yeah, that would be wicked. 
Because I think his drawings, he's such an incredible mm. draftsman. Um, maybe I'd steal something. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to go to Robert Crumb's <laughs> studio. I don't know what I'd ask him. But there, is there any works that you'd like to see in Well, not works, but are there any kind of drawings that you'd like to see in particular of, of his? Or you just... Maybe the oldest comic book strips he had hanging around. I saw the... Um, every original drawing of, you know, he illustrated Genesis, the book of Genesis. No, I Yeah, okay, so it was at the, uh, was that the Palais de Tokyo or the Contemporary Art Museum in Paris years ago? And I saw that and stayed until they were like kicking people out. They were like, get out. <laughs> um, but I'd like to see some of the, yeah, kind of oldest comic or zine strips that he had hanging around. Um, and, I wish I could draw that well. So, yeah. yeah. That'd be cool to see. Good answer. <laughs> um, and the last question is, it, has there been like a piece of advice or something that someone has said to you, um, not necessarily in reference to your work, but it could be that has kind of carried through with you and that you kind of, yeah, that you draw upon or you remember? I can't think of anything. In particular, but I think there must have been several people, several artists who during the time on the MA, some point or another, in one way or another said that that is the work, what you're interested in, all these things you collect, all these things you're keen on, these things you keep bringing up, that is the work, you don't need to intellectualize them you don't need to justify them you don't need to imbue them with some sense of importance or explain why they're important mm. or you need to make work from them you make work from them and that's the work yeah and that sounds simple but i was like oh okay like that's <laughs> sometimes the simplest ideas are the hardest are the hardest ones to get to also i think i in the break in between the first and second year in the MA, I made some really shit paintings about, they were like zodiac paintings, so they were mm. the symbols, the horoscope symbols, so I remember what we call them. Yeah. And that was an idea, I was like, oh, right, in my notebook, I'm gonna make paintings based on, so that's not even something I'm particularly interested in. Mm. I don't believe in it, I'm not interested in it. Mm. <laughs> but I made these paintings, and luckily I got them out of my system for the second year, because I made them yeah. in the gap in between. But I think making those also made me realise I had an idea and I thought, this is an idea for a body of work, but I wasn't interested in the idea. Mm. And if you're not interested in something, you certainly can't expect anyone else to be interested in it. So I can't expect anyone to be interested in something I'm not really interested mm. in. But at least if you are making work from something you're really interested in, someone else might be. They might not be, but yeah, <laughs> there's a better yeah, yeah. chance. Yeah. If you're really invested in something that others can be invested in it or interested in it. Mm or the way you've gone about it, or the way you've come up with it, or, yeah, navigated it, so. Mm. Yeah, I and, I, and I guess that's another thing to be said about MAs as well, I think. Um, you can go on there to get things out of your system and actually to do things that, or to realise things that you actually don't want, rather than what you Oh yeah, I made so much bad stuff. Mm. Yeah. Also, people will come up to you and be like, what are you doing, you're wasting your time, which is good because mm. you need to, hear that. Mm. I needed to hear that at points. Yeah. Like, what is this? Yeah. Okay, you're right. I'll get rid of it. <laughs> Which I definitely made a lot of bad shit that all went in a skip at the end, but that was satisfying. But, yeah. Well. That and, was really satisfying. And I guess quite vital as well, right? Yes. Yeah, as you said, yeah, really vital. Yeah. <laughs> well, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, happy <laughs> Brexit, but it's not Brexit. It was due to be Brexit, but it's not. We're still in the EU. <laughs> That's what I'd like to plug it <laughs> from May. <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me. Thank you Great for coming chat. to the studio. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> <laughs>
So thank you very much for listening to us all the way through. Please find more information about what was discussed on the podcast in the notes section. And if you like what you heard and would like to keep up to date with new episodes, then please subscribe to the podcast. And also follow our Instagram, which we regularly update with posts about each guest and all goings on with the podcast. Also, if you can spare a moment, please leave us a lovely review and that would help us out a lot. As well as that, if you have any suggestions or opinions you wish to share with us, then please feel free to do so on any of our social media platforms or send us over an email. All of our details are again in the notes section of each podcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.